Welcome to Lent. If Advent is the season in which we prepare and wait for the coming of the grand revelation of God in a child, in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who Israel waited for, the Redeemer of the world, then Lent is a time when we journey. For the next six Sundays, we're going to journey to a place called Golgotha. It means the place of the skull. We're going to do that alongside Jesus. And that's going to be the place where onlookers to, to, to onlookers 2,000 years ago, Jesus was just t- one of thousands of Jews crucified by Rome. But what we're going to find on this journey is that Jesus was no ordinary Jew. He's no ordinary person. And that the man that hung on the center of three crosses is also the risen one that we remember and celebrate on Easter. So for the next five Sundays, we are going to study the event that led to the Jewish religious authorities deciding that Jesus had to die. And before we start, I want to set some ground rules for our study. The first rule, because I know you all are type A people, high achievers who live in Northern Virginia and do great things for the world, I need you to know that we are not looking at this study, this Bible story, for, with, for empirical evidence. When it comes to the miracles of Jesus that are written in our Holy Scriptures, Pastor Brian Zahn writes this, Do not look with modern eyes and see only a postmodern medical phenomena. Look with the eyes of faith and try to perceive the spiritual meaning of the miracles. John calls these miracles signs. So that's rule number one. Rule number two is I want you to keep an open mind. The raising of the dead when it comes to popular culture is reserved for movies like Hocus Pocus where the witches come out of their graves and and haunt a bunch of kids on Halloween or for zombie movies where we got to board up our houses and form armies and take back the world. Yet the raising of Lazarus is the catalyst event that will set into the motion, into motion the events of Holy Week. Because after the raising of Lazarus, the chief priests and the Pharisees ask, what are we to do? This man is performing many signs. You see, they feared what might happen should the Roman government catch wind of what Jesus was up to. Jesus' actions are a threat to religious institutions then as much as his lordship is a threat to earthly empires then and today. But I'm getting ahead of myself. That's a couple weeks from now. We need to talk about Lazarus first. The raising of Lazarus, according to James Martin, is Jesus' greatest miracle. And here's what he wrote about it. The themes are almost too rich. The universality of grief, the difficulty of belief, and the power of Jesus in the face of both. In terms of storytelling, I think it's a masterpiece. In terms of faith, I believe it to be essential. The story goes like this. Jesus is on the other side of the Jordan River with his disciples. And Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, live in Bethany, the other side of the Jordan River. The sisters send word to Jesus that they're brother, Lazarus, is sick. Jesus, being on the other side of the Jordan River, delays his departure for some reason. It's not recorded for us. You can think about it on your own. But he waits two days. 
And when Jesus arrives, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Martha shows that shows faith that Jesus can correct the situation, that she could have corrected, she could have stopped, he could have stopped it from the very beginning. While Mary, well, she's less than impressed that Jesus showed up four days too late. And then next we get to this, there's an emotional interlude that happens. Jesus, the Son of God, weeps when he stands at the grave of his dear friend Lazarus. Jesus asks for the tombstone to be rolled away, and he calls out, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus comes out of the tomb, leaving his burial clothes behind. It's a miraculous moment that moves observers who saw what happened to faith in Christ, and at the same time, it sets into the mo- into motion the events of Holy Week. And today, our focus is on the first part of the story, verses 1 through 6. There was a man named Lazarus. Lazarus means God has helped. So Lazarus's name from the very beginning means God has helped. He appears only in the Gospel of John. We only know what John tells us about Lazarus. We know that he lives in Bethany. He has two sisters, Mary and Martha. Bethany, you need to know, is near Jerusalem, which sets up for us Holy Week. Jesus' next stop is going to be Palm Sunday, a procession into Jerusalem where folks are waving palms around in the air like they just don't care. And Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus, the one you love, he is ill. We have very few names of people in the Gospels that Jesus healed. When we hear about a healing, whether it's someone who is blind, someone who was laying on a mat, someone who had to be lowered through the ceiling to see, to, to receive healing. We only know them as a man with or a woman suffering. Even the most dramatic scenes fail to give us names of those who were interacting with Jesus. We can jump ahead to Good Friday. Even the two thieves nailed on the cross are nameless. Their identity, it seems, is reduced to the crimes they committed. But we all know that names are important. The first thing you do when you meet a new person is you extend your hand and say, hello, my name is. This morning I stood up and I said, good morning, Walker Chapel. My name is Pastor Tier Hardy. Yes, that's Tier, like beer, but with a T. Before you knew anything about me, you knew my name. Before I knew anything about each and every one of you, I knew your name. And that's because names have meanings. My name, Tear, is because my family came from a place in North Carolina that was called Tear. That's Tear, like beer with a T. And they took that name with them to Texas when they moved from North Carolina to Texas a really long time ago. And they adopted Tear as a maiden name. And then when I was born, my first name, this is about to shock y'all, is Dal, D-A-L, Tear, T-E-E-R, Hardy. And I'm the fourth. And because names are so important, when I was born, there was Dal, who was my great-grandfather. There was Big Dal, who was my grandfather. My dad was named Little Dal, and they were going to call me Baby Dal. And my mother, (laughs) my mother said, over her dead body. Well, you need to know my mother is still alive and probably watching from home, so that's why I'm named Tear. 
But names are so important. That's the meaning behind my name. That's how I got my name. My children, their names mean something. There is something attached to each of their names. What's the meaning of your name? What's the story behind who you are? The first part of what you introduce to people. I want you to consider that for a moment. Consider what your name means. Why was it so important that your parents, the grown-ups in your life when you were little, gave you that name? Consider it for a moment. Before your name was whatever it is, you were first and foremost the same thing as Lazarus. You are the one whom Jesus loves. The grace of God says that before I was Tear, or before you were Rachel, Camden, Ellie, Nora, Keith, or whatever your name is, you are first and foremost loved by God. I want you to think that, think about that for a moment. Before you are any of the things you or others say you are, you are loved. Priest and writer Henry Nowen wrote, The greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. When we have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, the success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. A coworker or your boss may have said that you were the best coworker or employee they have ever worked at, worked with, or maybe they said that you were the exact opposite. Your spouse may have called you an idiot this morning, or your child may have told you that you were the best parent at the end of a phone call. As you turn out onto Glebe Road after worship this morning, there might be a driver who will call you something that, well, we probably can't say here in worship. Or there might be a friend who's sick today, and you're going to reach out to them to see if they need soup, or you to run to the pharmacy for them, and they may call you a saint for being there for them at just that right moment. I want you to set all of the good, and I want you to set all of the bad that the world has said about you aside, and I want you to know that first and foremost, you are God's loved. God loves you. I want you to consider for a moment what that means. What does it mean that God loves you right now before anything else in your life? What does it mean that God loves you before you were Derek, Walt, Connie, or Denise? What does it mean that God loves you before your LinkedIn profile or whatever your CV says about you? And looking back on your life, what enables you to believe this? When it comes to Lazarus, when it comes to knowing about him, Denise and I were remarking and kind of laughing about, you know, we don't really know much about the guy. There's no accomplishments about him. We know that he had two sisters. I have two sisters, but I also have a brother. I don't know. We don't know if Lazarus had a brother. Maybe there was another brother who, who had left home and wasn't living there. We don't know. But what James Martin in, in, in our book points out is that we know Lazarus's name. The reason we know his name is because the early church knew Lazarus's name. The Gospel of John, what we, what Christian read for us, this story of the raising of Lazarus, was recorded about a hundred years 
after the resurrection. A little bit of a time gap there. So for that first hundred years of the church, as the church was telling the stories of Jesus' signs and miracles, the name Lazarus came up over and over again. And so because the early church knew Lazarus by name, we today, 2,000 years later, know Lazarus's, knows Lazarus by name. But here's the thing about Lazarus. He didn't earn his own fame. He didn't do a single thing to have his name called to come out of the tomb. Remember, his name is God has helped. Beginning of our reading, we have he whom you love. That's the person who received, who's the recipient of Jesus's greatest miracle. And the only act, the only thing, he, the only two things he does in this story is die and walk out. So I want you to hear this. The world may not know who you are. You may feel invisible throughout the day, or you may feel that the attention of the entire world is on you all the time. But none of that matters to God when it comes to how much God loves you. The fact that God loves you, you being the one whom our Lord Jesus Christ loves, like Lazarus, has nothing to do with your accolades and has everything to do with the one who calls out to each of us to come out, to come out of whatever death we are in, to come and see the goodness of God's mercy and love. Amen.